Hard work trumps talent every time. Discipline overcomes bad play and defense wins championships. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Moen Friends Sports Podcast. Joining me today, coming back after a two or three day break, is Jensen to talk about the Super Bowl and a few other topics. Welcome back, man. Yeah, feeling good, bro. Oh, wow. How about that defense? How about that defense? Uh, what a game. What, what a game? What? Really? Uh, are these the words you're using to describe the ball fest that we saw Monday morning Australian time? Well, I mean, see, for most Australian spectators of uh, NFL gridiron, I mean, I guess they couldn't really appreciate the game to its fullest, but that was a real exhibition of I'd say all phases of the game being gridiron. Obviously, everybody knows that the offense, none of the offenses shone uh, very much. But if you were to look at their defensive plays and their schemes and the tactics going either way, there was a real tactics fest there, as well as the special teams, which, you know, not many people uh, like to pay attention to, but it's still, still a phase of transition in the game. So very important. And there were some good plays there to be made. So yeah, Mo, what are your thoughts being a neutral sort of spectator? Well, if before the game, you told me that New England will be held to 13 points, I would have told you that the Rams would have smashed them and won this game quite comfortably, right? Because Tom Brady had 21 completions on 35 attempts, had a QBR of 25.8, and a rating of 70, 71.4 on a, a scale of 0 to 158, right? So that's 71 is a little below average. If you told yep. me that was Brady's game, I would have said that the Rams won the game. Unfortunately, yep. on the other side, we had a quarterback with even a worse game, worse ratings, like a deer in headlights, had a QBR of 13.4 and a rating of 57.9, got sacked four times for a loss of 31 yards. He got intercepted on an absolute hospital pass in that fourth quarter, uh, completed 50% of his pass attempts and had no support from a run game, which we'll get to as well. Yeah, I mean, on face value, this was as as bad as you're going to get from a New England offense. It's as bad or a worse position as you'll find Tom Brady. And the Rams still fail to capitalize on that. Uh, you, you, said, you said it correctly. And I think in the preview game, uh, we did mention that the Patriots were going to dare Jared Goff to win the game. They were going to sort of stack the box for the running game and play man outside. And that's uh, more or less what they did. So, you know, they gave Jared Goff some tight windows, but they also pressured him. The Patriots defense's rushing was amazing. And they more or less got to the quarterback with, I think, four sacks, four or five sacks on the day between Dante Hightower and Kyle Van Noy. So really did a good job of flustering the young quarterback. You know, Sean McVay said himself in the post-game interviews that he didn't just well as a coach, but there's not too much he can do with a young quarterback that didn't look like he was ready for the moment at all at, at any stage during the game. So, yeah, I mean... Credit to the Patriots, credit to Bill Belichick, who has a really, really good track record against young quarterbacks. If we were to go back to even the uh, AFC Conference Championship, where he faced Patrick Mahomes, uh, he did quite well with them, uh, quite well with him, pressured him a lot, uh, showed him some different looks with uh, the defensive lineup and the schemes that he had. So, yeah, a real coaching masterclass by Belichick, uh, as well as Wade Phillips, I'd say. I mean, like Brady like you said, had probably his worst or close to his worst playoff game uh, ever, more more so towards any uh, Super Bowl that he's played in. 
So, yeah, the, both defensive-minded coaches really had their way with the offences uh, in that game. Yeah, and look, I mean, you're right. So Jared Goff, and I don't know if you heard, and for those who don't know as well, um, in NFL, there's two-way communication between the quarterback and a play caller on the sidelines. Now, that can be the head coach. It can be the offensive coordinator. It could be the quarterback coach, whoever the quarterback is most comfortable with. And that communication cuts out 15 seconds before the play has to actually happen. And so Sean McVay, the LA Rams coach, would give Jared Goff the play that he wants to run. But he wasn't only doing that, Jensen. He was also telling him where to throw the ball. And the problem with that is, is that when Jared Goff was getting to the line of scrimmage, he pretty much had only one thing in mind every time, that I'm going to go to that one guy. And you could see that he never adjusted to that. Like every time he stepped back, he was just throwing the ball to the receiver he was told to throw it to without considering the tight coverage, without going through his progressions and maybe finding another receiver that was actually free. He was just throwing it first time and it showed because when they replayed a lot of the plays, you just saw people who were free with heaps of yardage to gain and he never even looked at them. So I think, you know, that's something they need to sort out over the summer and actually trust him as a quarterback to go through his progressions. And And if he's not a quarterback that you can trust to do that, well, there's another quarterback who's going to be franchise tagged and will be on the market this coming off season, right? Because they have every other weapon down pat on this team. Yeah. They have the running backs. Um, they have the wide receivers. Cooper Cup will come yep. back from his injury. You need a yep. quarterback to properly use them. And if, it, if Jared Goff is not that guy and your, and your team, your GM has built this team to win now, right? He signed Sue. He signed Talib. He got them extra support on defense. You need to get a quarterback that will make it happen if you can't see that from Jared Goff in this offseason. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, to your point, uh, he did miss a few a few wide-open targets. Uh, didn't go through his uh, progressions at all. I think the most I think the most obvious one was late in the fourth. He missed, uh, what's his name, Brandon Cooks, uh, who, was white, who was basically just standing there, standing there in the end zone, waiting for him to, you know, deliver a ball. And, um, yeah, just did, didn't get to him in time at least uh, with Jason McCourty coming out from one side and legging it and basically just getting there in time to stop stop the reception. It's, it's, it's not quick enough by him. But I think also to, to that, I would say Belichick, and his uh, defensive coordinator Brian Flores, who deserves a lot of the praise as well, even though we credit, we, we love to credit Belichick being a defensive-minded head coach uh, with all this. Brian Flores surely had something to do with the defensive performing the way it did. Um, so let's let's not give him credit. No, well, let's give him credit where it's due. I think what they did was most of their with most of their plays, they knew beforehand that Jared Goff likes to stick to the game plan and likes to communicate up until that 15 seconds. So they didn't really get set in their formations uh, so that Jared Goff would have to read the formations after the 15 seconds uh, had transpired and would have to actually make those reads himself and see what was open, which he most of the time didn't do. So they sort of 
dared them that way and gambled on a rookie quarterback not being able to make pre-snap reads and not being able to read defenses on his own and, you know, make adjustments on the fly. That's the way it goes, I guess. And, yeah, you, you're right. I mean, if, if they don't feel like Jared Goff's the right guy going forward, well, you know, somebody is getting franchise tagged and uh, that somebody, I think we're talking about the same person, is from the Eagles and it's uh, Big Dick Nick, right? right. Who's, they're going to use a straight bait. Uh, so, yeah, Patriots, to be honest, it was a replay next year and they had Nick Foles. I don't think uh, I, don't, I think the Patriots be, would be quivering in their boots more so than they were this time around because the general general consensus before the match that started was that the Patriots were his, historically calm and really poised before the match. Absolutely. And on Brian Flores, of course, he now takes over the head coaching job at Miami, which I'm sure he'll bring yeah. uh, hopefully a lot of discipline, even though the, the Belichick coaching tree hasn't had a lot of success after they've left the Patriots and Bill. And who knows, maybe Brian will be uh, the exception to that. He, he is an exceptional linebackers coach and a play caller. And we'll see what he'll do running a team in, in Miami uh, next season as well. Um, on, yeah. on, Bill, on Bill Belichick, though, I mean, like you said, even against the Chiefs, so they kept the Chiefs and the Rams scoreless at halftime in both games, which is exceptional stuff considering the high-powered offenses that they are. And I think, you know, it's time, you know, now that the dust has settled, Belichick needs to get his dues as well when it comes to these Super Bowls. And his ability to get his team going week in and week out. And on defense, there's not a lot of stars, people who just stand out on that team. There's no Bobby Wagner's and Luke Keekley's and, uh, you know, Akib Talib's or a prime Richard Sherman or anything of that nature, yeah. right? It's just a very disciplined defensive unit that s- sticks to the game plan that lands its tackles, which is incredibly important in the playoffs, and yep. does not beat itself. You know, that's that's yep. what's absolutely key. And we, we touched on this in the AFC Championship review, but, but it's true. Like you said, they dare you to beat them in a certain way. And Belichick said, you guys aren't running the ball. And Todd Gurley, who I think was not 100%, I cannot think that 100% Todd Gurley would go for 35 yards on 10 carries. You know, yeah, that's just... yeah. You know, C.J. Anderson, I think even if fit Anderson, once, you know, he sort of had that breakout game against the Cowboys and you really planned for him, I think you could stop him. And like we said, the Patriots were really good at stopping the run on the inside. And that's what Anderson does. And he went, you know, for nothing really, seven carries for 22 yards. It was about being able to stop Gurley and, you know, 10 carries for 35 yards. I mean, they either went away from it too early or they couldn't really establish the RPO because they weren't getting um, any runs early on either. So that's definitely an area where I thought they could have an advantage and it really didn't come through. Yeah, I think, um, I think you're right. I think, well, there were a few plays in there where the Patriots had, uh, had to sort of adapt their own game. They were used to playing man, this whole man-on-man coverage, this whole playoffs and in, especially in the AFC uh, championship game but in this game they played a lot of zone there were a few instances there where they brought this one of the safeties in um, so to free up that extra nickel nickel back so on nickel corner so I think that, that 
impeded the run game a little bit. And so, you know, Jared Goff obviously didn't take advantage of that. Having a freaky guy around the secondary, obviously there were targets there to be found. But at that stage, he was flustered and over overdone with it. Uh, but, yeah, so, I mean, the, there weren't many offensive plays to really break home about. But, I mean, there were a few stars, one being Edelman and uh, Gronkowski, who you said uh, in the preview that was going to shine. So, yeah, just want to hear, yeah, what, what do you reckon of the offensive performances, more so with the Patriots? Yeah, I mean, you know, the only thing that my prediction and the actual scoreline had in common was the number three. <laughs> <laughs> because um, <laughs> I said 33 to 30 and the score was 13 to 3. So I guess um, um, fair to say I was I was very, very far off there. I did say that Gronk would need to step up. And of course, you know, beautiful spiral from Brady, n- not taking away anything from that, but you still have to make that catch between those two players and go down the field. And oh, Gronk, he stepped up when it counted. And I think he made a catch earlier in that drive as well to, to get it yeah. going. I think he, he faked a block and then he sort of um, ran out of it, uh, got, a, yeah. got a good completion and, and ran for a bit too. So he ended up with six receptions for 87 yards, two of them coming in that touchdown drive. So he was, you know, very critical and... You know, obviously the MVP of of the Super Bowl, Julian Edelman, yeah. who, you know, always steps up when Tom needs him. He had 10 receptions for 141 yards. However, really got most of those receptions in the first half, right, when yeah. they really didn't, didn't do much. I mean, for people who didn't watch the game, the closest the Patriots got in the first half, not that the Rams were much better, was to kicking a 42-yard field goal. Right, like that's yeah. as that's as good as it got um, when it came to getting into the end zone or scoring a touchdown. So even though he did but, move the sticks a bit in the first half, it didn't really result in much. Yeah. Um, h- however, in that second half, you know, I think he had three of his catches in in the second half, and on the last drive, he also made a, a, a crucial catch to just keep keep the sticks rolling. Because once some um, Brady went on that drive, you could almost see what was going to happen, and it was whether. Tom was going to get a passing touchdown or they're going to pretty much set it up at the two or four yard line and and run it through. You know, again, I think obviously offensively, it was a very average game. I think we can all agree um, if you wanted to look at a couple of shining lights, you know, definitely Gronk with that catch to set up the touchdown. And then, you know, Edelman, he's just reliable, very consistent, plays within himself, doesn't try to do any fancy stuff. And he runs his routes really well. You know, Tom, a number of times, he was so free, Jensen, that I was thinking, where's the coverage? Like, how did he get so free? But he's just so good at running his routes that he always finds a few yards of space. That's it. I think by design as well, you know, with a few of those plays where Edelman was free, he was actually being doubled. But because they designed the play so well, they motioned him across the line and snapped the ball just as he was making his break, he was actually able to get a get a step or two on his uh, on his correspondent corner. So you know that was one opposition sort of opposition man that he had already beaten, and so the rest was sort of him running across the screen pass uh, in the slot. I mean, to your point, Edelman as a Patriots 
Porter, you know, you read up on these guys and you've, I've just got to say, he's just the ultimate professional, the way he goes about it. He, go, he, he works as hard as to get at the game as Tom does. I mean, coming from a no-name no sort of college, you know, playing quarterback through college, didn't really get much shine, obviously was undersized, and he just worked himself into whatever the Patriots would give him. He was picked up in the seventh round. They didn't really know what to do with him. All they knew was he, he, he worked out well. You know, he had all the physical tangibles and they were just going to find a spot for him. So he actually played it as a cornerback at one stage, Mo, as well as a uh, punt returner and eventually worked himself to be a wide receiver and Tom's most trusted slot receiver, I would say. So, yeah, yeah that's, that's a credit, credit to his hard work and diligence. Um, so he's really earned that, I would say, Super Bowl MVP. Even though you could say that it should have gone to maybe a defensive player, maybe a Dante Hightower or Kyle Van Noy or somebody from the Rams even. But, you know, Julian Edelman worked really hard and he, he does show up when it counts. Yeah, I mean, everything you mentioned, I'll add to that. Of course, testing positive to performance-enhancing drugs and being suspended oh. for four weeks. At the start of the season, but you know that's neither neither he nor there. But I just thought, just for in the interest of impartiality, we needed to mention that as well. So for people who also you know aren't very familiar with the NFL, let's just say their drugs policies are not the strictest going around. It's very common for guys to get caught with you know performance enhancing drugs and just get a few weeks here and there suspensions without pay, of course. But still, anyway, yeah, similar to baseball. <laughs> oh, well, baseball in the 90s. <laughs> yes um well baseball and you know all the repercussions of that with people not making the hall of fame etc um that's, ah. that's a different thing so tell me jensen as a as a patriots fan who is credited more with this super bowl is it a more belichick or more brady <laughs> oh i mean that's Oh, you kind of set me up there because obviously it would have to be Belichick in this instance. But if we're talking dynasty, you know, throughout the whole run, then I would say it's 50-50. And Mm. as a Patriot supporter, you have to have love in your heart for both of them. So personally, I love Brady, really respect Belichick. But I know with a lot of people and a lot of other supporters that you ask, uh, it will probably be the other way around. But definitely Belichick for this one. Belichick, I mean... He just had a masterclass against, you know, a rising a rising star in Sean McVay as a head coach who is actually in his second year. You know, if, if you stop and think about it, a second-year head coach being 32 years old in the NFL, I mean, like to make the Super Bowl, that's that's amazing. But obviously, he got out coached when it counted and he just came against uh, came up against the best. So maybe maybe next year, maybe he'll regroup, but definitely this one belongs to Bill. Yep, I agree. And on Bill, did you know that George Martin referenced him in Game of Thrones? George R. R. Martin? Mm-hmm. <laughs> How, so, what, in what way? So in the, I think it was the fifth book published in 2011. So it was after the first giant Super Bowl, but before the second one. In, in a book, it was when Tyrion, I don't know if you follow Game of Thrones, but he murders his father and his mistress in the book and he flees to Essos. And he goes uh, on a ship going down, you know, the major river there and he's checking the books. And so this is the quote from, from the book. Um, You know, he references that, you know, there's a few books that were kept, kept in the galley. And then he says, 
and the fourth and final volume of the life of the triarch Bellico, a famous Valentine patriot whose unbroken succession of conquests and triumphs ended rather abruptly when he was eaten by giants. Oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh I mean, that's just goes to show he's a cultural figure and his name, you know, is now etched in one of the most famous series books or television-wise there, that there will ever be. So, yeah, that, that was, that's pretty cool. That's that's a really cool, uh, really cool feather in the cap for Bill. But I'm sure I'm sure he would just politely chuckle at that and then keep his stern demeanour if anyone were to mention it to him. Well, you know, it was it was referenced after that giant's loss, and he says he was eaten by giants. So I'm not sure Bill would have loved that. But shout yeah. out to my mate Ryan who brought this to my attention. Actually, yeah, nice work, and, uh, Ryan. Yeah, thanks for that, Ryan. Appreciate it. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, that's another season of NFL done and before the Super Bowl actually Jensen they um they gave out awards Patrick Mahomes won the MVP Aaron Donald won yeah. defensive player of the year again and Sequan Barkley won offensive player of the year what did you think there did you think Baker Mayfield should have got it or were you happy with the Barkley pick personally I had Saquon Barkley on my fantasy team so I'm pretty comfortable with that choice there but I think Baker Mayfield, once he took out what do you call it, Hugh Jackson as head coach, I think he had more weapons around him to make an impact on the game. Whereas Saquon Barkley, it was just pretty much himself and maybe OBJ. Uh, well, yeah, him and OBJ just carrying the team with the ghost of Eli Manning, who I think at this stage should be replaced, right? Or whether or not they replace him in free agency or replace him through the draft. I don't know. But, yeah, Saquon is just on another level in terms of running back, pretty much equivalent to Zeke Elliott in his first year. So, yeah, I mean, for some people you might flip a coin. Obviously, I, I didn't really care either way, but Saquon, if you, I, I would say, would, would probably be more impactful for me. Yeah, I mean, Saquon just came in ready to, you know, be starting straight away and, you know, run after the contact. I think that's his biggest strength is just his runs after contact, his ability to keep driving the football. And also yeah. he's a bit of a receiver threat too. He can catch the ball in the backfield and, and run it through. So he's definitely an elite talent. I just think because of the quarterback position, you know, if Baker Mayfield, just in terms of upside and contribution, you know, running backs traditionally they wear out a lot quicker because of all the banging and the tackling and the hitting that they go through in their position. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, whereas Baker Mayfield, you know, what he showed this season, that team I think won seven games. Uh, you know, for the first time in a long time, they've won more than one game. Famously, and <laughs> did not win a single game a couple of seasons ago, I think. And yeah, so I think he has a, he has a bright future there in in Cleveland, and maybe they'll be competitive again. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you were to ask me, maybe two three years ago, which conference they were playing in, I couldn't tell you because yeah, they were that irrelevant at that point. They weren't even considered. They 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 weren't worth distinguishing between conferences. They're just the Cleveland Browns. You know, since found out that they play in the AFC, so you know, potentially match up with the Patriots down the road. But yeah, let's hope let's hope that their future continues to shine brightly with under Baker, who's 
All right, pretty controversial quarterback. He's not afraid to speak his mind, though. So I know how much he liked those guys. Uh, yeah, he's he's not afraid to tell the media off or you know shun away a ex head coach when he tries to come in for a handshake or uh, get a DUI or all these other things. So I don't know. He, he sounds like he sounds like the type of guy that we should be rooting for. <laughs> Look, as long as he doesn't become a, a prick. I guess. Like, I don't mind you being confident and, you know, all of that stuff. It's all good and well. But, you know, carry yourself well. Don't You, you know, you're a quarterback. Just by design, a quarterback is, you know, the leader of the team as well. Just given the importance of that position and how much a gravitas it has, you, he needs to clean up his act in terms of, you know, not getting DUIs, not getting into petty arguments, I think, with either ex-head coaches or anyone else for that matter. Even, I mean, he was on the herd before the season, I think, and he's and he also had an argument with Colin over some silly stuff. So, like, there's no need for that, I think. Yeah. Just focus and, yeah, be confident, absolutely, you know, carry that. I think that also reflects on the team when the quarterback is confident, knows what he's doing and can back himself. I think your teammates... Just naturally, they just give that little bit more um, when that happens. So watch this space. I think a, a strong Cleveland Browns is good for the NFL. Not in a similar way, you know, like we spoke last time about a good Lakers or a good Knicks when I was with Eric. They're good for the NFL given the size. But Cleveland is one of those heritage type of teams who used to have success and they have a very loyal fan base. I think the NFL wouldn't mind seeing them doing well. And if now they get a bit of stability at the quarterback position, uh, they've drafted well the last few years and the new head coach um, gets along well with the quarterback. I think they should make some waves and hopefully have a winning season very soon. Yeah, definitely. All right, here's that. Awesome. So Jensen, about two or three hours uh, before we, we re- started recording this episode, the Woj, yep. the, um, <laughs> you know, he has probably the, the best job in the world, I think. He sent out a few tweets. I'm going to read them out and then we can discuss what you think yeah of course so first one was about Danny Ainge and he said Danny Ainge has encouraged the Pelicans to wait until the offseason to negotiate with the Celtics Boston remains determined to try and partner Anthony Davis with Kyrie Irving for long term but plans to pursue AD regardless of Irving's free agency plans second one and I think this one's important for the Laker fans Pels are waiting on Lakers to overwhelm them with a historic haul of picks. <laughs> to the Pelicans, that means the Lakers offering four first round and second round picks as part of a Davis package. Pelicans want to be compensated, perhaps even overcompensated, to even consider a deal with LA. Wow. So what do you think? I think I think the city of New Orleans New Orleans has proven in the last month or so just how petty they can be in general management as a fan base in uh, both sports. Yeah, very, very petty on their part. And, you know, <laughs> the Lakers, I don't know what to say at this stage. It, it seems like what they will actually have to throw the kitchen sink plus more. Uh, to get this deal across the line. Or they'll just have to wait until Anthony Davis signs with another team and then lets that contract expire and re-signs with them. Or gets traded, sorry. So, yeah, I mean, four first and second rounders. That's just that's just ridiculous. That's ludicrous anyway you look about it. No team 
in their right mind should be looking to try to gut their sort of future like that. I mean, even if it's for Anthony Davis. So clearly the, the statement was made to sort of discourage the Lakers to uh, continue to pursue Anthony Davis more this time around. And yeah, I, I, I don't know what to say about Danny Ainge. Uh, I mean, he's sort of sending a message to Kyrie as well at the same time saying, you know, we don't really care what you do. We'll go after this other guy if we feel like it's the right thing for the franchise. So yeah, New Orleans definitely, uh, definitely know how to hold a grudge. Mate, look, asking for four first round and four second round picks, it's like, you know, when someone wants to buy something off you, but you don't really want to sell it. So you put a ridiculous price on it so you can turn yeah. them away. That's what yeah. the Pelicans are doing right now. It's almost, they're just doing it to spite um, Los Angeles. They don't want to either do business with LA or the very fact that they know AD wants to go to LA. They're just making this really difficult. Now, yeah. if it was in any other situation, the Lakers can simply wait until free agency and yep. pick and pick AD up not at the at the end of next season, right? So they can't pick him up at the end of this season. They'll do it next season. The problem with this is by then it would have been two years down from the LeBron era, I guess, in LA. Anthony Davis will join that entering the third year. I don't think they want to wait that long. With that said, asking for four first rounders, four second rounders, plus a combination of Kuzma Ball, Hart, Ingram, Jackson, Rondo, whoever that combo looks like, which, which is, you know, will be a fair bit of talent from the Lakers, is really overs, like really, really overs. When it was, you know, a couple of first rounders and the players, I think that's fine. But asking a team to give up essentially eight picks all up, it's yep. it's going overs. And someone mentioned something uh, yesterday about a potential trade between the Lakers and Phoenix as well to acquire one of Phoenix's picks and then on trade that pick to the Pelicans with the Lakers first round pick. It was almost confirmed by Lavar Ball this morning who said he doesn't if his son is to leave LA, he doesn't see him in a Pelicans jersey. He sees him playing for the Phoenix Suns. First I didn't think much of that story. But when I heard Lavar Ball say that, I I think now there's something to it where they send Lonzo plus a couple of other things to Phoenix. They get a, a pick from Phoenix and then they um, package that pick up with their pick and a few players and they give it to the Pelicans. But if the Pelicans are asking for four first rounders and four second rounders, I think that's a deal breaker. I don't think that a deal will happen with that ask. Yeah, dealing, I mean, that, that draws into other contracts like dealing in good faith and I don't think the New Orleans Pelicans are looking to do that at this stage, uh, whether it's be holding a grudge against Anthony Davis for obviously being the franchise player and or it's the Lakers and not wanting them, not wanting to see them have their shine. So either way you look at it, it doesn't look like the New Orleans Pelicans are going to want to do anything more with the Lakers, uh, unless they're forced to. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what to say about. Uh, I don't know what to say about what Magic Johnson's going to do, but you know, he's got a tough road ahead of him. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I think they want to get that pairing done sooner rather than later. So they might go overs. Now, key to mention is in the NBA, you can't trade first round picks in consecutive years. Um, it was put in place because Cleveland did that in the 80s and they pretty much got gutted 
out of any talent because the owner at the time wanted to win straight away or make the playoffs straight away. So the league put that rule in to essentially protect teams from themselves. So if the Lakers were to trade, uh, were to make that trade for four first round picks without involving any other teams who can give picks immediately, they could only part with the 2020 pick, that pick, and then every alternate year after that. So they can't give two in a row. Um, with the second round picks, I think they can do that. That's no problem. A side note to this, the Lakers want to trade KCP for Jabari Parker of Chicago. Oh. So that's something that could happen very soon as well. I think they might do that before the trade deadline, which is uh, Friday morning our time. That's all right. Well, yeah, I mean, I think the I think the money there matches up. I think Jabari Parker re-signed a deal uh, before he got traded like last year or the year before. No, he's a serviceable player. I would trust his overall skills more than KCP at this stage. So, yeah, that seems like a good deal if they can get it done. But, yeah, I mean, whew, I don't know about the Davis situation. I don't know if Magic is feeling the after effects of not getting Kawhi Leonard from the Spurs, who also didn't want to trade to the Lakers, and thinking... Yep. I might just have to pay the overs to get Anthony Davis this time so I don't miss out on another one. Yep, no, that's fair. I mean, if you're if you're a Lakers supporter, it's uh, not looking too good, but, you know, I think you're right. Magic Johnson will eventually just cough up and uh, acquiesce to the ludicrous demands of Gorned franchise in New Orleans. Absolutely. So two more days till the trade deadline and let's see what deals get made before then. Awesome. So overnight, Jensen, there was a Premier League match played, <laughs> which um, Liverpool FC managed to, luckily, might I add, come away with a draw against a very undermanned West Ham United team. Which yep. apologies to West Ham for not calling them a big London club <laughs> in our last episode, <laughs> and thank you to West Ham for doing everyone a favour. And, uh, you know, drawing with uh, Liverpool. So, you know, since the new year, Jensen, Liverpool have lost to City. Um, They've crashed out of the FA Cup to Wolves and now they've drawn back-to-back games. What is is happening at Anfield? Oh, well, I mean, they've all of a sudden lost their their spark. There's a case to be made that they've kind of peaked too early, I would say. Yeah, we're us only being maybe halfway through the season. But yeah, Liverpool, I mean, they had some injuries of their own, but why you would play Lalana in place of like a Shakiri, I don't know. I mean, if it's, if it's for rotation, well, clearly they didn't respect West Ham enough. Yeah, I, 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 just, I just think West Ham wanted it more. I mean, albeit there was played at London Stadium, so West Ham's home field. I mean, Liverpool by all accounts, should be taking the points there. There's some questions starting to be raised about Jurgen Klopp now and his ability to get the job done. I mean, how long has it been since he you know, famously took the Bundesliga title with that Borussia Dortmund team? Uh, I don't know. Maybe he's lost his winning edge or maybe it is in Liverpool's nature to be perpetual bridesmaids as, it's, as it stands with uh, taking the trophy home. Yeah, look, I mean, how long is it between drinks now for Jorgen Klopp, right? And the managers of all these big clubs, they always get measured on trophies, winning, championships. Every one of those clubs, um, Madrid, Barcelona, United, um, Juventus, 
um, Bayern Munich, Chelsea even, right? They always measure their success on winning championships. Jurgen Klopp, who is a very good coach, keeps getting his teams, you know, very close, get them to a final, get them to second place, get them to third place. He needs to get take them that one step further and actually have someone win the league for once. And, you know, Liverpool fans will point to a few uh, injuries and players who've been missing, you know, like Alexander-Arnold, who's their, running, who's their right back, he's injured. And in his place was um, Milner playing. And, of course, Milner doesn't have the legs to be a right back anymore. So that's not the best position for him. Lovren's out. Um, I think Henderson's still out. Jorginho's out. And like you said, Lalana just came back from injury too. So not not really helping. However, they didn't help their own cause. They sent Nathaniel Klein to uh, Bournemouth, I think, on loan. And clearly it's showing that, you know, teams, when you have that many fixtures coming up, when you're in that many competitions, you need a full squad. You need your whole depth. And you can't um, feel the pinch like Liverpool are when you get a few injuries. Yeah. And yeah. that's what's happening right now. They have a few injuries. Their top players are just a bit off, right? I mean, Salah is still moving around well. Firmino is too inconsistent for mine. He's always up and down. But, you know, all in all, they're the only ones. And I think, oh, he's the third one. Is it Mane? He's the third guy in that big trio. I think this side of this side of um, the new year, they're the only ones who have scored goals in the Premier League uh, for Liverpool. So they're doing their bit. However, they need to really steady that ship and, and get a win soon because Man City play uh, Thursday morning our time and if they win that game, they'll go ahead on goal difference. It's crazy. Man City's, yeah, kept in there. I think to your point with Jurgen Klopp, you really, you really do need to build up your whole squad and sort of take a Belichickian approach to building out a squad. If I can quickly draw back to the Super Bowl, uh, one of our star cornerbacks, Patrick Chung, went out pretty early in the second half. We pretty much replaced him immediately with the Dan Harmon. So, Daron Harmon, sorry. So, um, you know, there wasn't much loss there. But in the same accord, yeah, if you're looking at uh, fullbacks, you had Nathaniel Klein and, yeah, you're right. They chose to load him out rather than keep him pretty much on the bench and ready for whatever happened to Alexander-Arnold. So... They're, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're definitely to blame for their own, I guess, shortcomings there. But what they do from here, well, who knows? Because Man City, they look like they're, they can sniff blood and smell another Premier, Premier League title. So, you know, they'll be doing their bit to sort of clip at their heels of Liverpool and probably overtake them at some stage. But it will be, good, it will be a good title race then. Uh, you still got a lot of the season left. So there's a lot to shake out. And who knows? Uh, Man, you might sneak into the top four, uh, whether or not it's mathematically possible for them to make a run, I, I don't know. But, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see what happens from here on out. Yeah, I mean, look, I said on a, a podcast prior that I don't think United are close enough to make a run at the title, but I think they're playing well enough to influence it. So, you know, the team, the games that they have coming up against those teams above them I think if they, you know, keep that form going, they actually have a good chance of influencing the outcome uh, one way or another. And now they're only two points off fourth, which is, you know, astonishing given eight games ago they were double digits off fourth place. 
and now they're within two yeah. points uh, from Chelsea. So, you know, and Chelsea aren't really playing very consistent football. So very possible for United to, you know, make their way into the top four comfortably. And then, you know, Tottenham, who is still missing a few players with injury, um, you know, again, there'll be a whole rush of fixtures coming through, especially with the Champions League around the corner. So it's important for United to, to keep that momentum going. And you never know, they could catch um, Tottenham potentially. But I still think it'll be between City and Liverpool this year. City's upcoming game is away to Everton. So it's it's not a walk in the park by, by any stretch. However, Everton aren't having a very good season. So I think, you know, City has enough power to to overcome that. And Liverpool can bounce back against Bournemouth at home. So I think that'll be a good home game for them. And I almost think they prefer to play from behind as well. It's like, you know, when there's sort of less by behind, I mean, so they're not top anymore. They're not being chased. They're the ones doing the chasing. I think you'll see a bit more urgency in their game, which is on Saturday uh, UK time, hour 1am. So it'll be a good chance for them to steady the ship and carry some momentum forward um, because then Manchester City play Chelsea um, after their Everton game. So it's, it's all important games now coming up, but, that's the sort of stuff where you need to steady because if Liverpool drop points again uh, to Bournemouth, see you later. Yeah, definitely. And I think uh, we mentioned Chelsea and uh, Maurizio Sarri sort of losing his locker room, but over the weekend they had a, was it a 4-0 win or 3-0 win? 5-0. 5-0 against Bournemouth. So, oh, not Bournemouth, sorry, Huddersfield. So, yeah, well done there. Uh, I think the, that's more of the players responding. Yeah, and, you know, like you said, and you were right about Higuain and saying to wait. I mean, he did score two goals. It is still early days to make a decision either way. But, you know, that's the value you need. A striker who can score yeah. goals. He gave him two goals, both of them well taken. So, you know, they also might steady as well and... um again, make some impact on the title race. Yeah, of course. Another big team who had a surprising result on the weekend, if we just cross over to Italy, was Juventus. So something interesting about Juventus is, you know, for the first time in seven years, they played without uh, Barzaga, Bonucci and Chiellini, right? They, they played Parma. Um, Barilla scored and Kowasi scored in the 74th and then the 93rd minute after Ronaldo had um, you know, extended their lead to 3-1. I thought they were home and hosed, but clearly they weren't. You know, I raise this to say that they're not under any pressure from a Serie A perspective. They're nine points clear they're going to win. But if they don't get the back line short up, this will impact them in the Champions League. And I think that's where their focus is, especially now that Ronaldo's there. I think they felt that's the quality of player that would you know get them over the hump and make sure that they actually win the Champions League this time around. But if they're going to leak like this um, without... And, you know, those players, you know, Chiellini is out for only two weeks, so he'll be back in a week. Um, Bonucci did an ankle and Barzaga has been out for at least a month and he's got another month to go. The thing about this is Barzaga's 37, Bonucci's 31 and Chiellini's 35. So I don't think... Yeah. You know, you know these guys have been around obviously forever, and as I said, you know the first time in seven years, and they won the Italian league the last seven years in a row as well. So these guys are clearly anchors, and they're all centre backs, all critical players. However, given their age, Juve better have some succession plan or some way to manage um, their load to give them a bit of a break in the Italian league because they are nine points up. See what your other players have. And make sure these guys are fresh to go in the Champions League because 
you can't afford them as we saw being out because your team will just leak gold. Yeah. I mean, I think to your points, you know, their succession plan, they, they acquired a young uh, center back named Daniele Rugani recently. He was like touted as an up and coming star, but since then they haven't really played him much. He's only had, I'd say, total for the year less than 15 games so you know if you're actually going to be serious about a succession plan don't just wait until the last minute for one of your stars to actually uh, get injured and be forced to play somebody you have to be willing to play them and like carry them through and mix and match pretty much so that uh, new and -and up-and-coming talent uh, gets their chance and gets their moment with regular consistency. So that's that's one centre back that I can name. But obviously they'll have to look at jumping into the transfer market to get some more because one centre back does not make a backline. So especially when they like to play the three five um, uh, three five two system, having the three centre backs, uh, you really need to expand your talent there. And more towards the Champions League, I mean, if there was any year that Juventus could, you know, have a real crack at it, it'd be this year with Real Madrid not, uh, not looking too consistent and drawing over the weekend. So, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's interesting to see what they do from here on out. But, yeah, definitely need to replenish that back line. And they have Atletico Madrid coming up, who are always dangerous, and we all know Griezmann and what he can do. So they need to make yeah. sure that they're up for that game in a couple of weeks' time. Otherwise, they'll find themselves uh, in trouble as well. Yes, definitely. Awesome. And on that note, thanks, Jensen, for joining us again. And congratulations to your New England Patriots on a sixth Super Bowl. Uh, oh, worries. Definitely the, uh, a dynasty and probably the, the greatest dynasty in the NFL, uh, given the six have come in the last 19 seasons and now they've equaled the Pittsburgh Steelers for the most Super Bowls by a franchise. Yeah, that's right. And uh, to sort of quote Bill Belichick and Tom Brady and pretty much the underlying theme of the whole year uh, going into the season, the postseason, to all Pat supporters out there, just want to say we're still here and we'll be here for a long time having 12 picks in the off-season. I don't know how Bill Belichick managed to finagle that, but it's unbelievable. And I, I just can't wait for this thing to keep on trugging. Is it really uh, 12? 12 picks. I don't Man, know what he's done. How did that even happen? <laughs> uh, it's 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 called uh, team and personnel management, I guess. I, I think more, more and more of the uh, AFC teams should start adopting that and more or less the NFL to the wider extent but (laughs) maybe we need to give bill bill the gm as much credit as we give bill the coach right because a hundred percent you know he does both jobs and you know i didn't even realize they had 12 picks this year how the hell did he get 12 picks gathered and winning uh, a super bowl that's that's incredible yeah and you know who knows um rob gronkowski might come back for one more so I think I think this year was the year to sort of um, put the stake through the Patriots, but obviously nobody in the AFC did that, and we won another Super Bowl. So you know, it it it's it's fun having this consistency in the league. I think once it's all done and dusted, I know we're having a joke, but I think that's we'll we'll all miss that having that regularity and sort of having that consistency. It's consistent, it's consistent brilliance. By just the one franchise. Uh, so, but until then, 
I mean, just keep on trucking. Good old Tom Brady and Bill Belichick. Absolutely. Um, I better end this before you say another thing about the Patriots that is astonishing and you further send me down into the pit of misery um, of my my Dallas Cowboys um, (laughs) over the last 20 plus years. So um, thanks, thanks again. Have a good evening and (laughs) we will have you on again very soon. Thank you everyone for listening. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. Please follow us on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram, My and Friends Sports Podcast and share with us your comments. We'll chat soon.